0: If you have your Bibles this morning, take it to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 we will be continuing this morning our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We may switch this series to Sunday night here over the next few weeks uh, as we look and in, get into the new year. Uh, and so we'll be having our Vision Sunday on January the 15th. Uh, and so that will be coming up here quickly. Uh, and so the next week we begin a revival meeting with Evangelist Caleb Reed. Uh, And so that'll be Sunday through Wednesday, and so we'll be together during the Sunday school hour from the teens and uh, our adults and up, Uh, and then we'll have, uh, actually his wife is going to conduct the children's service on the evening services throughout the week, and so if you've got small children, revival meetings are difficult, Uh, she's going to be doing the children's church services for them each night of the revival, and so we'll look forward to that uh and so i will say more about that at the close of the service but just those things are upcoming and uh, as we jump into the new year uh, and kind of transition out of holiday mode back into real life uh and so it'll be upon us i'm i'm looking forward to it i love the holidays uh, but when they come to an end, I'm generally ready to just get going whenever it, whenever they come to their conclusion. Uh, and for most of us, that will be on Tuesday. And so, since New Year's Day falls on Sunday, most won't go back to work or in school until at least Tuesday. Some will be a little later than that. Uh, and so, but we'll look forward to seeing what the Lord has for us in this new year. But this morning, as we continue on our our Sermon on the Mount series, and especially in the area of the Beatitudes, which uh, we're kind of transitioning out of that element of the Sermon on the Mount this morning, where the Beatitudes have been finalized. He's given us all of them, and now he's kind of switching into Christian living. What is that, the manifestation of that in our life? What is the purpose of our life? What is it that God's wanting to accomplish in our lives and for us uh, to use what he's done for his honor and his glory? And so we'll see that this morning, beginning in verse number 13. It's the first time in several weeks that we haven't read the first 12 verses. Uh, And so, but this morning we'll read verses 13 through 16. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house." Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. And I want to speak this morning on the thought, just simply salt and light. Let's pray together. Fathers, we begin this year, Lord, on this first Sunday, on the first day. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be determined to walk more closely to you than we ever have. Lord, that we would not go through life just expecting that somehow we're going to become good Christians, better Christians, growing Christians, impactful Christians, uh, just coasting through life. Lord, if if our lives will become more than they are, then it it will be because we've made investment in the relationship that we have with you. Lord, I pray that you give us a desire in our hearts to do that. I pray that you would help us this morning. Uh, to get started in a way that honors and pleases you. And Lord, I pray that you would give us in these months ahead uh, much fruit that will remain to your honor and glory in our own lives and in a manifestation of souls that have been brought to Christ and people being discipled as well. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look here this morning again, uh, and last week, of course, was... Uh, a Christmas-centered type of a message. And so as we begin, and Jesus is in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, just as a reminder, setting the stage, really giving us an outline for his ministry. Uh, this is what the coming of the kingdom of God is going to look like. This is the basis for it. This is how I'm going to go about it. And then he turns his attention to us because we are the reason that he came. <laughs> we are the, the, the purpose of... Of the ministry, the life of Christ, the scriptures given to us is to reveal God and the Lord Jesus Christ to humanity so that we might know him, we might seek him, we might live lives that honor and glorify him and know who and what he is. And so he shares with us two keys to the Christian life essentially in the Beatitudes. And the first key that he shared with us was the key to God's heart. If I would be the kind of Christian that God would have me to be, if I would I have the relationship that I want to have with him that I must understand the essence of who and what he is. And so he gives us and shares with us a key to the heart of God. What is that? Well, it's in the first four of the Beatitudes. Verse 3 gives us and tells us the blessing of the poor in spirit. We learn that blessed in the poor in spirit means that we realize and we came to understand our need for God. My friends, this morning, if we don't understand that we have a need for God, we'll never seek him. If a lost person doesn't understand their need from God, they'll never put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Savior. If we we don't come to the place where we see that we have a need, we'll go nowhere in our spiritual life. Then he revealed to us that they're blessed are they that mourn. In other words, those that have been broken before God by the realization of their sin. When I realize that I need God, the realization is, is that the reason that I need God is because I'm broken. And because I've broken his commands. And because I've broken his heart. And the realization of that should break my heart. And so blessed are they that mourn. When my sin that has broken the heart of God breaks my heart, it begins to produce something significant in my life. We learn then in verse number five, blessed are the meek. That is when I come and bring myself into a point of submission to God. Submission to his word, submission to his will, submission to his truth that I am who the Bible says that I am. Uh, And so I cannot dismiss that. Uh, and and I, can, I can flower it up and culturally we try to flower things up a lot so that we don't feel bad about who and what we are. But the truth of the matter is, is that no matter how good we make ourselves feel about ourselves, we are simply nothing more, nothing less than what God says that we are. And what we are without Christ is a lost sinner that's deserving of an eternity separated from God in an eternal lake of fire. And so when we come and we understand that uh, I, I'm, I need God... And because I need God, I've, and I've broken his heart, my heart is broken, then I come to a place that I'm ready to reconcile, to make that right. In other words, I'm, I want to submit, I surrender. We resist what God's doing in our life. Somebody uh, is under conviction to give their heart to Christ in salvation, there's generally a period of resistance, a, a, a coming to understanding. Uh, a, A reconciling of okay I've got to give this up or my life's going to change in these ways and though salvation isn't about that change and it's not produced by that change most people have an understanding that if I do put my faith and trust in Christ there's going to be some expectation that he's going to have for me. He gave his life for me. He's going to have some expectation. And that expectation, we talked about that on Wednesday night, uh, is that I give my life a living sacrifice for him. He gave his life a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, an atonement sacrifice on Calvary's cross. His expectation is that my reasonable service is to give my life back to him, a living sacrifice. And he's given me his all and he wants from me my all. Uh, and so that's, that's and, and people kind of intuitively understand, so there's a resistance. We resist whenever we are saved and God begins to put in our heart something significant in our life that needs to change, some relationship that needs to change, some uh, behavior that needs to change. Perhaps it's a call uh, to ministry, to go and serve the Lord on a foreign field in missions or to serve the Lord as a pastor or uh, to serve the Lord as an evangelist. God places his hand in his call. Generally, that's met with some resistance, but I have my dreams, I have my ambition, I have my goal, and God says, you need to put all that aside and you need to let me be first in your life and uh and that's submitting ourselves to god and so what's the key to god's heart i need you i've broken your heart lord you, my heart is broken because of how I've affected you and my behavior's affected you. I surrender to you. I submit to your word. I submit to your will. I submit to the relationship. I, I come in uh, understanding my need that I bring nothing to the relationship, but that you've given all for me. Then we see that in verse 6, the blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's a yearning for God. Now it's not just a realization of God, I need you. It is a longing and a yearning for him. Now I want you to notice in these first four elements of the key to the heart of God, they build, one, one produces the next. I, I'm generally not going to come to a place where I'm going to yearn for God until I realize that I have a need for God. So when I see that I have the need that produces in me a brokenness. Why? Because I see God and I've got some understanding about how my behavior has impacted the relationship. Uh, And then that creates in me a desire to submit to him. I don't want to continue to do hurt to someone that I love. I want to correct the behavior. I want to come in line uh, with what's necessary to please him, to honor him, and to allow him to work in my life. And that creates in me then a yearning for God. The closer that I get to him, the more that I know him, the more that I understand him, the more that I become like him, the more that I want to be with him. Generally speaking, whenever, you, uh, whenever you're whenever you with people, especially close friends or family members that you really uh, love deeply and enjoy their company, you miss them when they're gone and you long to be with them, uh, even if you've seen them on a regular basis. Why? Because you love them and they love you. And when I understand that God loves me and I love him, that produces in me a yearning for him. And when I go too long without spending time with him, I miss him. And I want to be with him. And I'll search him out. That creates. And so one creates the next. So the first key that he shared with us is the key to God's heart. Uh, to, to need him, to be broken, to be surrendered. And to long for him. The second key is the key to expressing Christ. And so in the next four Beatitudes, he talked about blessed are the merciful. That's our giving. Not just giving uh, of our finances, but giving of ourselves. Giving to the needs of others. Giving uh, to, to, uh, to meet physical needs or spiritual needs or emotional needs. It's being there for people when they have a need. Uh, it manifests itself in a lot of different ways, but it's not just now about what I can get. It's about me participating and giving in return. Uh, giving of my time to prepare, to teach, and to preach. Giving of my time uh, to, to pray for someone or with someone. The merciful. Then in verse 8 he said, blessed are the pure in heart. That's when our heart becomes holy gods. When we fully give ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed are the pure in heart. God, uh, I'm all yours. Whenever my wife and I got married almost 34 years ago, uh, come next month, it was, I'm all yours. You're all mine. There is no one else from here on out. And what we come to understanding, what God's expressing here is listen, if I'm pure in heart, my heart is purely, entirely God's. It is not that I'm free from sin, but I desire to be. And I desire and am willing to let God eradicate things in my life that are displeasing to Him that I might be brought closer to Him. Verse 9, He said, Blessed are the peacemakers, those who are seeking reconciliation. Am I seeking reconciliation with God? Listen, as a Christian, I should be helping others seek reconciliation with God and help those that are lost find redemption. But I also should be helping those that are, that are away from the Lord return to Him and reconcile the relationship. And I also should be desirous and, and understanding that when sin comes into my life, that I long for and desire to be reconciled to God. That I'm reconciling man to God and that I'm reconciling man to man. If I know that there's animosity uh, in, in my heart toward another brother or sister in Christ. I want to reconcile that. I don't want that to go on. It's detrimental to the work of God. It's detrimental to the health of the, of the local church uh, whenever one Christian has uh, animosity toward another Christian in, uh, in the in the congregation and they don't get together and work out the differences and come to an understanding uh, so that there's reconciliation. Now, what he's saying here is blessed are they who are peacemakers, that are making peace, that are reconciling God to man and man to man. And then in verses 10 through 12, he gives us our identification in Christ. Blessed are you if you suffer for righteousness sake, if you're persecuted, if men use you, despitefully abuse you, and, uh, then, then blessed are you. That's your identification in Christ that identifies you as a Christian. Why in the world did that identify me as Christian? Because that's the way they treated Christ. That's what they did to Jesus. And Jesus uh, did not always, and we have kind of live in a fantasy world where we think that and the world wants us to believe that Jesus always spoke uh, very tenderly and kindly at all times whenever he spoke. Listen, what he said to us in our text verses this morning is really pretty harsh. And he's stopping you. Think about it here. When we look at, uh, at verse 13, he said, "Ye are the salt of the earth. You, he's talking to all these people that are there. You're the salt of the earth. You put your faith and trust in me, you're the salt of the earth. If you do not be salty out there, then you're good for nothing. And you stop and you think about it. If I came up here this morning and said, you know what, uh, to the whole congregation, we're just a bunch of sorry, good for, we're not good for anything. Might as well just go out and do whatever. That's what Jesus essentially told them. He said, if you're not going to be salty, you're worthless to me. I mean, Jesus was kind and compassionate and loved, but he was direct, yeah. he didn't want to be misunderstood. He would put things out there in a direct and a blunt way. Uh, at times he called them, listen, I don't think that too many people would interpret it being very friendly if somebody said, you know what, Pedro, you're just the inside of a casket with a rotten corpse. That's what you are. Just, you, you look pretty on the outside, sort of, uh, but, but you're rotten inside. And poor Pedro gets picked on all the time. And what I'm saying this morning is simply this. Jesus spoke truth. And truth isn't always pleasant. Truth isn't always uh, what we want to hear, but it's often what we need to hear. Listen, we must have the keys to life if we are to embrace our purpose in life. And he shares with us our purpose in life. Ye are the salt of the earth. And so we're going to look this morning at this idea of Jesus beginning to reveal to us our purpose. Why are we here? I can't think really of a better way, and I didn't really plan the timing of this to fall on New Year's Day, but but what is our purpose? Not just our purpose in life, but our purpose for the new year. Listen, if I don't get the purpose in life right for a year, how am I going to keep it right for a life? I talked the other night about our you know goals and things for the new year. Well, this year after we reviewed the last years that we made for a whole year family wise, this year we decided we're just going to go month by month. We did some things month by month starting back in July and actually made progress and didn't forget about everything that we had goals to do in January. So this year we're we're kind of having a family meeting once a month to review uh, what would what did we how well did we stick to it what did we accomplished and what are our goals. For the next month. Uh, And so when we look at it and what he's saying here and what I'm trying to say is, how can I hope to please the Lord for a lifetime if I can't keep my focus and attention on him for a week or for a month? And so we are the salt of the earth. We have a twofold purpose. He reveals in verses 13 and 14 You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt is lost to savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. But to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. And so what's our purpose? Our purpose is to be the salt of the earth and to be the light of the world. Now I realized this morning that Jesus truly is that light, but we are a reflection of that light. And the the closer we walk to him, the brighter he will shine off of us and reflect off of us. commentator wrote, We who are the salt of the earth, and the light of the world are living in a world of decay and darkness and we are to have an impact upon both. So when we stop and we think about what our, our purpose is, we need first of all this morning to understand our platform. Let's understand our platform. Where do we stand? What is it that our, our baseline objectives, what is it that God uh, has for us? Now notice what he says. Ye are the salt of the earth. The earth here essentially Talking about the the moral, what what man is, it actually here comes from the word ge or ge if you put it uh, and come in and it, it means this simply. It's distinct from heaven. The word suggests soil. So when we talk about this, we're, we're not talking about uh, just the atmospheric world. We're talking about. Right here where we live we are dis- this distinct from heaven and it conveys the idea of the material side of life and so we are the salt of the world we're right here where man lives with real issues that we all face every day the harsh reality of the curse of sin upon the earth uh, the the impact that it's had <coughs> on our lives and so we are to understand that our saltiness is to be upon the earth and, and what man is, who and what we are. The natural man in this context is viewed as the earth. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about the salt of the earth. We're talking about be salty to the natural man. Now listen, I understand that in our culture and society today, kind of the, the agent where we are, that salty basically means rude or, or brutal or uh, to be unkind in some way that's not biblically what it means that's to be salty that's not a you know I think a lot of times we kind of think of that as a fresh or a new term it's really not when I was in the military brother Mike could tell you and, and uh, as in the Navy and the Marine Corps if you were salty it didn't necessarily mean that you had a nasty disposition it meant that you were seasoned and that you were experienced and that you were squared away uh, and so in this sense we're to be salty Are we supposed to be uh, arrogant and brash? No. But are we to be seasoned and we to be responsible? Are we to be experienced and capable uh, to lead and to teach? Absolutely. That's kind of the baseline and the point here. So when I'm using the term salty this morning, I'm not meaning it to be used in the contemporary use of the dialogue uh, on social media platforms. I'm talking about the actual literal meaning of the word. Okay? Uh, And so we're talking about a, a, a saltiness, that we are to be salty. We are on a planet filled with corruption. And we look and we see uh, what we're talking about here when he says, ye are the light of the world. Now we're talking about, first we're the salt of the earth, now we're the light of the world. What's the distinction here? The distinction is is that the world is now dealing more with the cosmos. This term world has the cosmos or the spiritual. So before we're talking about an earth, what man is, now we're talking about world, what man does. And so we see, we have what man is, in essence, lost and apart from God, morally corrupt by, by sin. And then there's what man does. What is the manifestation in life of what we are? We do what we do because of what we are. Uh, we don't have to be taught, we don't have to be trained. We are a natural man. We have a, uh, we have a sinful nature. And apart from God, and without the light, and without the salt that others have poured into us, all that's going to manifest itself is that natural sinful nature. Uh, the, the, listen, the less that Christians step up and stand out, the more the natural world is going to overpower our responsibility. When we do not shine, when we are not salty, then the world gains strength. And the more power that it has, the more suppressed that we are, the darker the world is. I don't know that if if you're my age, uh, mid-fifties or older especially, then you could look back over the last 30 years and you would probably say, as I do, that I never thought that our nation could morally go from where it was 30 or 40 years ago to where it is today in this short of an amount of time it is it is amazing and not in the good amazing that we could have degraded culturally as a society morally as a society, society so quickly was unthinkable to me in my twenties if you would have told me when I was twenty what the, the cultural norms would be in 2023 in America, I would have thought, you've lost your mind. But they just continue to build and gain momentum. It's not going to get better. It's going to continue to accelerate and get worse because Christians aren't salty and we're not shining brightly enough. Yeah. And the absence of God's influence on the culture leads to the moral decay and the overpowering darkness that's come upon us. Now, say, Pastor, should we be fretting about that? No, we should do our our dead level best to be salty and to shine brightly. And then let God take care of the rest of it because it's his business. I, I understand this morning, prophetically, that it is the will of God for things to degenerate, to decay. He's going to come back. I believe He's going to come back soon. I believe the Bible teaches that, compels that. The, all of the prophecy that needs to be fulfilled to enable Him to come back have been fulfilled. We're not waiting on anything other than the Father to just say, Okay, son, go get your bride. That's it. And when He does, the, the trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ arise first, and we'll hear the trumpet. We'll look to the eastern sky, and then we'll be airborne Amen. on our way to heaven. Listen, in order for that to happen, things are going to get worse. I understand that it's the will of God for things to get worse. I don't think we should be losing sleep over the fact that things are decaying. What we should be losing sleep over the fact is, is that we're not salty enough and our light's not shining brightly enough. And so when we look and we understand what he's talking about, what's our platform? Well, we are to be salty to the earth And we are to be a light to the world. We are to be salty to what man is. And we are to be a light to what man does. The lost world, the earth, the Christian should be to them salt. Again, the commentator says we are to have an arresting effect on the general corruption of society. We live in a corrupt world. Secondly, now that we understand some of our platform, what our baseline is, we need to understand some of our purpose. What is our purpose? Well, our purpose is to be the salt of the earth. Well, what does that mean? And this is pretty basic to most of you uh, because if you understand the concepts, the element of salt and what it does, uh, then we can see clearly what effect we are to be having uh, on the, the, the base of what mankind is. Our function as salt is to resist decay. What's my, what's my, I'm, I'm the salt of the earth. What does that mean? That means I'm, I'm, I'm to help resist decay. The world is decaying. The culture is decaying. Society is decaying. The morality of, uh, of, of the, what man does on the earth, moral values are decaying. Things aren't getting better. Things are getting worse. There's a decay. Salt is a preservative. And so our function as salt is to resist decay. Not only that, we need to understand that salt cannot change corruption into incorruption. Just because I'm salty in the right sense doesn't mean that I can reverse the effects that have taken place. I've told the story before, but when I was in high school, we lived uh, in the suburbs of Chicago for a of my last couple of years of high school at uh, the church that we went to there at the time, uh, ran probably a little over a thousand and uh, had a big Christian school of about 400 students 350 or 400 students uh, and ran about 8 or 10 buses on Sunday morning uh, and the church is still there, school is still pretty decent size I think the church runs a couple hundred now uh, and so you know clearly things decay uh, and so we I, I'm, I'm working in the bus ministry at that point as a teenager and uh, and I'm driving this little Chevy uh, Chevette, and so just a little cracker box car that my, so I think somebody gave it to my, uh, to my mom, my stepdad, and it was just a little stick shift car, and, uh, it got me around where I was going, and so I pulled into the apartment complex to go visit some kids on the bus that morning, it's snowy, uh, it's icy out. Uh, and so it's uh roads have been plowed and salted all that kind of thing but uh i I pull in and i'm I'm crunching on the ice and uh, i get out lock the car go up make my visits come back and realize that i've locked the keys in the car and i'm great now you have to understand this is like 1983 four There, there weren't cell phones yet I don't have any way to call, and I don't even know that they were home if I needed to call them or get a hold of them. I'm just kind of here, so what am I going to do? Well, being that we lived up in the north and the roads had to be salted all the time, that decay and the rust underneath had worn a hole through the floorboard right under the steering wheel. I had a piece of cardboard over it, and then I had a piece of uh, rubber floor mat over that. And so I, it dawned on me that, I've, hey, you've got some pretty long arms. My wife says my arms are a mile long, uh, and so if she ever needs to reach something, I go, I, can't, I go to Walmart, and I find little old ladies everywhere. Can you help me get this off the top shelf? It's kind of like an alternate. It's, a, it's an extra ministry that I have. Uh, and, so, and so, you know, uh, they have to do the, the same whenever it's on the bottom shelf for me. Because uh, I can get down there, but then I have trouble getting back up again. Uh, and so... I, I look at the car and think, "What am I, gonna, oh, I know what I'll do?" So I laid down, I scooted under the car as best that I could, as, sat pretty low to the ground. I uh, stuck my hand up through the hole in the floorboard, uh, moved the cardboard out of the way and the mat out of the way, and reached all the way up until I could get the keys and pull them out of the ignition and pull them back down through the hole, <laughs> and open the door and went about my merry way. <coughs> I couldn't undo the effect of the decay. I just had to try to stop it. So, what does what do Christians do? Salt prevents corruption from spreading. You see, why is this so important? That, Pastor, things are just continually decaying. Why do we need to stay be so salty? What What is it that we're trying to do? We can't undo what's done. We can't. He can. Amen. But our presence and our way of living and our way of building relationships with people can help slow the process. Are we going to stop the effect of sin on the world long term? No. And there's no reason to think that we will. Biblically, we understand that we won't. But we can slow the process. Why would we want to slow the process? Because the longer that we can delay the process, the more people that the Holy Spirit can lead Mm -hmm. to Christ the more impact we can have. Salt prevents corruption from spreading. The presence of Christian people should prevent or slow the process of corruption. Countries we're kind of, Ronald Reagan famously said that we were the last kind of bastion of, of hope. In places where the gospel has been powerful, cultures morally have been more pristine. And as the gospel is minimized, as it's drawn away from, the culture morally deteriorates. You stop and you look at, <clears throat> at what's happening globally, uh, you understand that to be true. The presence of Christians should slow the process. Christians should have an influence upon the culture. So, Pastor, are we supposed to just go through life and hide and not uh, be politically involved or to speak up or to vote for people? No, absolutely. We should stand up and do our part. We should do so with a kind and a compassionate spirit that shows the love of Christ. We should be salt and light. This nonsense of just placate the world in the name of the love of God so that they'll hear a flowery, happy message so that they'll trust Christ. Listen, if they don't understand their sinners, they're never going to see their need for Christ. I don't, I, I'm not for being antagonistic and ugly to people and unkind, but I think that we need to stand up and boldly speak the truth. Amen. And we need to do so in a way that provokes them to understand that without Christ, they're going to die and spend an eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. Not only do we see uh, this morning that this, that we are the salt of the earth, but we're the, to be the light of the world. What does light do? Light removes darkness. That's what it does. It eradicates Darkness. And so, what, when, you, when you have light, the more light you have, darkness has no power over light. Light has power over darkness. Uh, if, you, uh, if you see things that, the only thing that can, uh, that can give light the appearance of power is, or darkness, the appearance of power is less light, minimized light. When we, uh, <clears throat> when we look at, uh, at, at Our role in our place, we are to understand that light removing darkness, that we are the source of that light. Now I understand that Jesus is the giver of that light and truly he is the source of that light. But Christ living in us in the person of the Holy Spirit brings that light out. The source of the light, we are to be like him. The source of the light is the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us in in John's Gospel, uh, in chapter number nine, uh, in verse number five, that as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light, the true light of this world. And as Christians, we are to be a light of that world. In verse 14, he tells us, Ye are the light of the world. The city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. In other words, I am the light, as much of me as you have. You shine in the darkness of this this world. And so we are to be realizing our role. That is the light of the world. So we see the source of the light is Jesus and then by Jesus, Christians. And then secondly, we see the manifestation of the light. What is the manifestation of the light? A shining city. Bright and unmistakable. Our impact should be bright and unmistakable. Our corporate impact as a collective body of Christ and our local community and our impact as the overall church nationally and globally, all believers of churches that truly believe, trust the Lord Christ as our Savior and follow Him, they are an impact of shining the light in the darkness. And he talks about, we're a candle, our impact individually. Now we're not talking about a bright city shining on a hill, we're talking about A a candlestick, or in this case, a lampstand more properly. Our Bible uses the term candlestick, but the, the term of the use predated actual wax candles. So it's not intended in the same way that we think about a candle today. Uh, and you, you look at the candlestick in the holy place in the tabernacle all the way back. Truly, more appropriately, we would today call it a lampstand because it, they had to go in. One of the priest's duties was to go in and fill oil in all of the knobs at the top of the menorah so that it would continue to burn. It was burning oil. Uh, and so we are, uh, we are as a, an individual to be having an impact. Then he he gives us a warning. He talks about uh, how we are to hide it. We're not to uh, put it away. In verse 15, he says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. I am, as a Christian, to be giving enough light to light the way for those in my sphere of influence. In my home, at my place of work, in my classroom, as a student in school. Listen. Some of our young people have got the greatest opportunity today to be a missionary to your school and to your classmates in the public school system, where you can't talk about the Bible, pray, you can't exalt Christ, and all of the all, all of the immorality is being crammed down their throats. And we need godly young people that will stand up and say, "You know what? That's not true." Yeah, amen. They can fire the teachers. They can't fire the students. That's right. Well, that's good, preach. Stand up and say something. Yeah. And don't just take it. Stand up and say, well, I'll get mocked. I'll get ridiculed. Seems like he just said something about blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you. When it's time to stand up and speak truth, stand up and speak truth. The light of the world is a light that removes darkness. The candle, our impact, labor. We're not too busy to shine. We need to be busy shining the gospel we're not to hide it under a bushel we're not to hide it under a bed And Luke's account of this same uh, of this same passage in chapter 8 and uh, verse number 16 he says no man when he hath lighted a candle covereth with a vessel or putteth under a bed but setteth it on a candlestick that they which enter may see the light don't be ashamed of what Jesus has done in your life don't be ashamed of uh, of being a representative of Christ wherever we go Uh, Stand up and be the light that the world so desperately needs. So, we've looked at our platform, if you will, this morning. We've looked at gaining an understanding of our purpose to be salt and to be light in the world around us. And how's it to be exercised? And thirdly, this morning, we see the exercising of our power. Let or allow our light to shine. Let your light shine. Allow your light to shine. See, the light is in you. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, the light is in you. You don't. You don't have to uh, try to manufacture it. It's there. All you need to do is cultivate the relationship with the Savior so that He'll let the light get brighter. The more He purges darkness from my life, the brighter His light emits from me. You stop and we always at, at Christmas time we have different. We have a string of lights that does different things. It can be changed to several different settings. I'm sure most of you got similar uh, lights. We can make it go from color. uh, Colored lights are just all white, or sometimes it'll fade more slowly than others. And some years we've had where we could really adjust that really well, so the fade was like really slow. Uh, And those are a little harder to find these days. Uh, and so they're all co- interconnected, the, the strands, so that everything's synchronized, and, uh, and we'll, we'll, like, we'll fixate them. And then we've got uh, lights where you can adjust where the brightness. So you've all probably got lights in your home where you've got a dimmer switch on them. And you can adjust the amount of brightness. Listen, the closer I walk to Jesus, the brighter the light's going to shine. The problem's not... In a dim light, we have a a dimmer switch over our dining room table and the the light chandelier is on the switch like that. And sometimes it'll come on and somebody's turned it down real dim. And we're trying to put together a puzzle or have dinner or play uh, uh, dominoes or uh, some other kind of a game. We can't see what's going on on the table. Oh, oh, I I need to turn the switch up. It's dimmed down. too many of us have lives in which the light of the Lord Jesus Christ is dimmed down. By our spirit, by our action, by our values, by our, uh, by our flesh winning out whenever our, the spirit <clears throat> should win out. And we need to allow the light to shine. The light's there. Yes. I just need to allow it to shine. I need to stop dimming it. Yeah. And I need to let the Lord crank it up. Nice. I need to let the Lord, let that light be bright. So how do I let the light shine? How do I maintain my savor? I don't want to be worthless to Christ. I don't want the Lord to look at me and say, you know what, you're done. I might as well just cast you out and let people trot all over you because you've lost your saltiness. You've lost your savor. You don't have the ability to flavor anything. I don't want that to be my testimony with the Lord. I want the Lord to be able to help me stay salty. Stay salty. What should I do? How should I exercise this in my life? Well, first of all this morning, just stay salty. Preserve your testimony. You have a testimony for the Lord. You've worked hard to maintain it. Don't throw it away on a whim. Maintain it. Walk with the Lord. Spend time in His Word. Be a servant of the Lord. Preserve your influence. Listen, if you've worked hard to gain influence in someone's life, don't let a moment cause you to cast aside that influence. Maintain that. Stay salty. Secondly, I would say simply shine brightly. Don't be dim. Shine brightly. How do I do that, Pastor? Stay close to Jesus. It's that simple. Then, Pastor, this was really basic this morning. Most of the things that we need are. Most of us haven't really advanced past the basic. And even those that have need to sharpen their basic skills. That's good. Are we letting our light shine? How do I do that? Stay close to the Lord and stay unified with the brethren. Resist the urge to enter into, into, into petty squabbles with your brothers and sisters in Christ with the leadership of the church. I'm not saying not to address real concerns, real issues. I'm saying don't let Little things become big. I've heard it said, I try to say it fairly frequently here, that, that mature Christians take uh, immature Christians take little problems and they make them huge. And mature Christians take huge problems and they make them small. Be unified. Let the light shine. Walk with the Lord. Let God have His will and His way in your life. Be salty. Shine brightly. Use the keys to God's heart and the keys to expressing Christ. To be salty and to let your light shine. Why? Why is this such a great name? In 1850 <clears throat> there was a man who was commissioned to study lighthouses up and down the east coast especially in the Boston area in that northern area and <clears throat> excuse me, it was in 1843 his name was, uh, was Isaiah Lewis. He was just 35 years old and he Uh, spent several months going and looking and examining lighthouses and uh, and areas and points in which uh, lighthouses needed to be uh, built. He wrote a report that was scathing uh, to a man named Stephen, Stephen Pleasanton, and he had been and and rendered a great service to the nation in the War of 1812 because it was this man who rescued the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and some other things from the city of Washington before the British set it on fire. But he kind of, as he got older and was placed in charge of essentially this maritime trade routes and overseeing lighthouses and things, had gotten lethargic and just kind of lived off of the laurels of his past accomplishments. And he had let them degrade and decay. And they had not really been addressed, and there, there nothing new was being built, and what was there wasn't being, wasn't being maintained. And Lewis wrote this scathing report that it almost instantly caused them to be able to put, go and put new lights. The lights were lighthouses where the light was just dimmed because of age. They began immediately to install uh, brighter lights. One of his reco- one of his recommendations addressed terrible dangers of a place known as Minnows Ledge, outside of. Uh, Charleston, Massachusetts or Cohasset, Massachusetts near Boston and that one stretch between 1832 and 1841 40 vessels had sunk on the rocks. Many had lost their lives there and they had the great challenge of trying to build a lighthouse in a place where the light needed to be placed about a mile out to sea and the place where the foundation had to be built was only exposed for a few hours a day, twice a day at low tide. And so they came up with a design and they, they designed it where the pilings would be driven deep into the rock and they wanted to use iron and they built it up kind of on stilts and, uh, and about a month or two before it was completed, uh, a ship came with Irish immigrants. It's kind of a famous shipwreck from that era. Uh, And 99 people lost their lives whenever the lighthouse wasn't finished yet. They could see the house, but it wasn't complete. It wasn't an operation. They crashed upon the rocks and over 99 99 men, women, and children drowned. And they thought to themselves, what if this had been done just a few weeks earlier, a few months earlier? It was behind schedule. It should have been completed and then as they got it built and they got it established and the men that would serve on it would have to go out by boat and come in by boat, generally two at a time would live there and they got an understanding that when the storms came the thing really shook to the point that they were, it was hard to get anybody even to stay, matter of fact the first man that went there to work resigned after about 8 or 10 months because nothing was being done to address his concerns they continued operating the men began to Try to get supplies up, and so they went all the way up to the tip of it. on It's on stilts. So they went all the way to the top of the lighthouse and fastened the cable and ran it down uh, to a rock below the surface whenever it wasn't whenever it wasn't low tide, and uh, to a rock there so that they could use it to hoist supplies up into uh, the lighthouse whenever the conditions were right. They had to have food. They had to have stores. They had to have the, the, all the things necessary to live. Well, what they didn't understand is that the way that the thing was constructed is that that was acting as, as, as it was waiting up. It was pulling it down. And storms would come. Finally, a storm came that wrecked the lighthouse because the issues that had been exposed were not addressed. And people lost their lives because there was no light. And people lost their lives because... As the light was being diminished and damaged, nothing was done to shore up what was broken. Why is it so important that we live for Christ? Why is it so important that we're salt and light in the world? But the obvious is is that there are people all around out there that don't know who Jesus is and don't understand their need for him. And they're never going to see the need if our light doesn't expose that need. But there are also a lot of people that sit in the room just like this every Sunday, who are going through storms, who are going through difficulty, who have their difficulties that need to be addressed, that are unwilling to address them, or don't have close enough relationships with people that they're just addressed naturally through the course of relationship and conversation and responding to the Word of God when it's preached. And those things are pulling us down. What sins do we have in our life that are pulling us down? That lighthouse toppled. Because they didn't understand that if you put iron pillars in salty water over time, they'll weaken. And if you pull from the top something that's up on stilts, that it's going to eventually twist and pull it down, especially when storms come. And when the problems were revealed, nothing was done about it. Listen, Christian, this morning, if you're here this morning, I I believe looking around, I know most of you, I, I would... Be a little surprised this morning if there was anyone here that didn't know the Lord as our Savior. But I wonder how many of us here that know the Lord as our Savior this morning have very real things in our life that God speaks to us about on a, on a regular basis that we will not surrender to. And they're pulling at us and pulling at us and pulling at us. When that lighthouse came down, the main support in the middle of it broke, but the outer, we're still standing. The testimony of those that could see it from shore said when that broke, the men were ringing the bell profusely. And you could see it listing as it was being twisted and pulled down into the water. The two men that were there, one's body washed up on a nearby beach. And another was found on a nearby island that was just a few yards from where they were. He was able to swim through the the raging storm, but died of exposure. When God speaks to our hearts, we must respond. When the Spirit of God identifies areas in our lives that need to be corrected, we must correct them. Why? Because if we don't, the result is going to be... A vanquished light. That lighthouse was rebuilt out of granite just a few years later and it still stands today. What are we built upon? Are we built upon the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we built upon our own reason, our own logic? It's a classic scriptural passage of Jesus talking talks about building our foundation on the sand or on the rock. Build your life on Christ. It's a brand new year. It's only 12 hours old. What will we do with it? Will we come together next year and look back on 2023 as we begin 2024? Say, man, 2023 was a year that God really did something significant in my life. It can be if I'll let Him work in my life this year. I promise you this. If I'm determined to just coast through life the way that I coast through most years, when I get to this time next year, I'm going to be saying the same thing that I'm saying now. I wish that I would have done more with the year that I just completed. But if I start here on this very first day, determined and committed to walk with the Lord more closely than I've walked in the past, to be growing, to let his light shine brightly, to be praying and asking God to use my life in a meaningful way in the lives of others, then I believe that we can look back a year from now and say, man, what a wonderful, no matter what happens politically, culturally, financially, we can look back and say, what an amazing year 2023 has been. Because this is the year that God got a hold of my heart on January 1st and I gave my heart to him and I let him have full control for a year. What an amazing thing it would be to have a testimony service a year from now and sing the praises of God about the great victory that he's won if we'll just surrender.